Hey, my name is Nathan Resnick. Welcome back to another episode of e-commerce on tap brought to you by Sourceify. Today we have a friend Noah on and I'm so excited to dive in because Noah is a expert in macroeconomics and market conditions and how that ties to e-commerce. So Noah, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me here, Nathan. I want to dive in and first, before we do, I want to learn your background. So if you can start just giving a, a quick 30 second minute glimpse of your background and what you've been up to. Absolutely. I'm a recreational mathematician and professional algorithm developer, and I've been working for the better part of a decade on a patent pending system of price discovery for commodity marketplaces. And so I'm finding people around the world trying to set up new markets or develop new market systems and offering them the support and education necessary to do that. That's amazing. That's amazing. And that translates into your own business. And I want to just 15 second introduction on your own businesses. Okay. I operate something called Core Disk. Essentially, it's the shell around my intellectual property and it will license opportunities to use the world's most advanced price discovery. That's awesome. Core disk. So I want to dive in on this episode to how macroeconomics has really hit e-commerce, right? Because the past two years during COVID, we saw such a bull run where everyone had a lot of money to spend and that translated into a lot of growth for e-commerce brands. And there was increased costs in our supply chain with freight rates being sky high and production wages going up. And now it seems like we're in this completely different market condition where demand is not nearly as high. And we just saw a slower holiday season than we had in the past. And the actual price to import your product has gone down. And is this something that from a macro commodity standpoint you foresaw? Or is this kind of a surprise even on that end of the spectrum? It's rather easy to expect these sorts of behaviors because e-commerce so far hasn't actually become all that economically sophisticated. It is agglomeration of effectively one-man shops. And so the historical analog is similar to the merchant that might have a wagon that they go from town to town in. They're selling what they're selling. They have what they have. They're trying to get as good a deal as they can get. And the external conditions just affect them and they have to do what they can in response to those things. E-commerce is very much focused on branding and demarcation and trying to get very specific silos that they can rule over. But those silos aren't critical systems. I see the shoes behind you there. The shoes are very valuable, but you're not monopolizing mm -hmm. all footwear. You're going for very specific brands. and it would be effectively impractical on the sort of e-commerce business models to attempt to monopolize clothing in a fashion-centric situation. And so that means that for the most part, all the e-commerce systems are subject to the same mm -hmm. kinds of trends and limitations that fashion houses are, where you are on the bottom end of the supply chain because critical systems will always be able to outbid you in the event of crisis. And 
also demand yeah. will always diminish first for you in the event that tightens up as well. But there are some e-commerce companies that provide necessities. The vast majority don't. You're saying when there's a tightening of budget, obviously luxuries like nice sneakers or cool CPG-oriented products are going to be the first to go when it comes to consumers. Yeah, but also at the same time, you'll have the hardest time outbidding. So like with the chip shortages and what that might do to your supply chain, major car manufacturers are going to be able to outbid for limited chips when and as those become available over a narrow band, less critical type of demand structure. And so you've got wild swings on effectively both sides of what's going on. Makes sense. What do you predict for the future in terms of these swings and what does the next two years look like? I personally believe we're in a recession and heading deeper into one. I just think a lot of consumers haven't quite realized that yet. And I don't quite know how long it will last. We've been in a bull market, obviously, for quite some time now. And I think there's a lot of tides that are moving against e-commerce brands in terms of, like you said, commodities being more competitive and in terms of their production and products that they're producing not being a complete necessity. And when consumer spending tightens, obviously their spend is going to be way more geared towards necessities rather than luxury. It is quite the challenge. We actually went into a technical recession over the summer. We'll have to see data continue to come out. And another thing is that the government offices that do the measurement actually have error bars. So it's not atypical five years later for them to go through and have finally gotten all the real numbers crunched and turn out to be off by two mm -hmm. or 3%. And in an environment where growth is at two or 3%, that can actually turn what look like record bull markets into recessions retroactively. Whether or not we're going to mm. admit to the recession that we're in remains to be seen. And what the pullout structure winds right. up looking is also something we're all going to get to experience together. But mm -hmm. one issue attached to that is the inflation has finally broken free from the asset classes and is moving through commodities into wages. And we can start seeing a lot of resistance there. That's generally mm. where the primary resistance and calls for doing something about inflation come in and that's going to decrease stability in many markets as people get pushed up to the edge around these negotiations about stuff like will you pay me more or will i quit type of discussions and you won't be alone in e-commerce and I, like you said it's going to hit across industries it's going to hit across industries like you're saying from what I've read, it seems like there's this dynamic where inflation has outpaced the rise of salaries that we've seen, especially across factory workers. I mean, their increase in wages hasn't kept up with inflation. So technically, they aren't getting paid as much as they were because of inflation. But like you're saying, when there's less demand, the employees, you know, these factory workers are not going to be in a position to negotiate where they can increase their wages further. It's always quite a struggle. And indeed, I've been, I do some baking around the holidays. And so I go through quite a lot of eggs. And in my neck of the woods, eggs have gone up by a factor mm -hmm. of about five in the last six weeks, which I'm certain that nobody's wages have gone up by a factor of five in the last six weeks. So yeah. anyway, that's a major symptom that we've seen. But the kind of underlying difficulty is that we're 
e-commerce is using business models that are really pre-medieval. And so there's strengths and weaknesses there, but the primary weakness is that your ability to cope with macroeconomic difficulties is essentially limited to your own personal resources. And so without evolving a more effective market system to plug yourself into that can spread that risk and load across an industry, what you'll see is rather than expectable and stable changes to the industry, things will happen in a much less linear fashion and will largely consist of a binary of either you go bankrupt or you don't go bankrupt. And if you're in that slot, you got to do what you can to be in the not bankrupt column and just hope and pray. Right. And I think that's a situation that a lot of e-commerce brands are facing because with growth, they took on debt to fund inventory. And as growth slows, they still have debt payments to keep up with, but debt can eat business alive, as many of us know. And so when these e-commerce brands are facing a situation where they have slowing growth and still have the same debt payments, they are in a position where they could potentially go bankrupt and the bank could seize their assets and take ownership of their business. And so I think it's a really challenging situation moving forward. And I guess I'm curious from your standpoint and the markets that you look at from the commodity side, how does that trickle down into bankruptcies in the e-commerce world? And I guess, first off, how does that affect suppliers, let's say the price of fabric increases as a commodity or the price of wood to produce furniture increases, how could that potentially affect a supplier that would then trickle down to a brand that's importing from that? So to go after the very first part of your question first, this means that to some extent we can anticipate a bankruptcy wave going through multiple industries based on these sorts of high fixed costs as a normal business model, uh, which actually makes this a window of opportunity because even in a saturated space, you can expect the potential for primary competitors to effectively knock themselves out because they've financially priced themselves out of the ability to deal with dips in the marketplace. So there's actually a pretty robust history of highly successful businesses being founded during times of economic and financial turmoil because that turmoil knocks off the most well-adapted predators to the old ways of doing things. And so if you can find these new business mm -hmm. models that will have a chance in the conditions that are existent, you'll have a chance to become the next dinosaur that you know, makes it to the next extinction epic. But to move on to how these right. things flow through the supply chain, that is largely dependent on how your supply chain operates. So if you're operating at a size and scope large enough and that you're dealing directly with commodity marketplaces and doing in-house manufacture, then you'll be needing to plan around those things. It's far more likely that, as you alluded to, you're gonna be dealing at two or three removes from that kind of thing. In which case, what you're gonna be seeing is a combination of nonlinear renegotiation from suppliers where 
people with whom you do not have long-term contracts, which is going to be the majority of the people that you have contracts with, are going to be like the eggs in my grocery store. Last week it was $5, and this week it's $10. And if you don't want it, somebody else does. The second thing is for people who do have long-term contracts and are feeling good about themselves on that basis, you should still be looking for alternatives and trying to reach back and understand these things because there's a real chance that the people that you're dealing with will go bankrupt if they're offering long-term contracts that have stable prices that really can't be stable in this kind of environment. So it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you're in an agile position, you might get pushed up against the wall. If you're in a stable position, you might suddenly find out that there isn't a floor. Either way, you better be prepared to think on your feet. In the commodity market right now, you see prices going up in general. And historically, in a recessionary environment, what do prices do across commodities in general? So... It depends on a lot of things. Recessions have a tendency to draw prices down because in the commodity space, because there's not as much demand, so people don't want them as much. But we might be heading into a 70s style stagflation type of recession, in which case commodities go way up because what's being driven isn't so much a general desire to stop overspending our credit card, what's going on is a sudden recognition that we mispriced virtually everything because there's a lot more cash being flown around than we were previously aware of. And so prices can spike quite high under those circumstances. Then that becomes a challenge of how to anticipate how prices are going to be evolving. And that's where the sort of sophisticated markets can actually be an advantage because they can give the individual players insights into the future, which would allow people to actually plan their businesses more effectively. Makes sense. So as we wrap up here on e-commerce on tap, one kind of question that we always end with is what's one question that I didn't ask that you think I should have asked, which I think is a pretty big one given your knowledge and experience in the industry? So I would say what strategic opportunities are available for independent merchants to actually get up the sophistication ladder? And the answer to that is marketplaces. There's a basic principle called commodifying your complement. So even if you don't want to be in the business of selling generic X, customers are still likely consuming your product along with other kinds of products. One of the classic examples is professional sports, beer, and potato chips. Brands of beer would like professional sporting to be a commodity and would like potato chips to be a commodity to make those things ubiquitous and easy to acquire so that their customers can drink their beer while they're watching those things. This, of course, also applies to potato chip right. manufacturers and professional sporting leagues. So eventually you can get to a point where sort of everything is commodified. But there is a strong first mover advantage in those types of things. And if you have even a lifestyle mm-hmm. brand or something like that would seem to be a fairly narrow focus, if you can form alliances with other people in your industry to work out what the complementary products and industries are 
and then build marketplaces for those products and industries for your client base to use. Not only is that potentially a lucrative new revenue stream, which will remain stable in ups and downs through the system, but will also effectively make marketing your own specific product easier and more friction-free because the products that would come along with it are in the possession of your user base. Makes a lot of sense. That's a really unique insight. I think so many brands try to take a approach of really trying to separate themselves and add more value and be more expensive. And that might be having them face a lot of headwinds, given the market condition. We'll see what plays out. I know a lot of brands that are white labeling and trying to find different avenues for growth in this environment. So it's a really unique angle. Noah, where can people find you? Where's the best way to learn more about you and your business? I have a website called cordisc.com, C-O-R-D-I-S-C. You can also find me on LinkedIn. I'm the Noah Healy on there. I just connected with you and you can reach me at noahphealy at yahoo.com. Happy to do an initial consultation to see if there's anything that I can offer to help people out with market conditions or setting up intelligent decision systems. Makes sense. Noah, thank you so much for coming on e-commerce on tap. Thank you. Thank you for listening to e-commerce on tap brought to you by Sourceify. If you could like and subscribe, we'd greatly appreciate it. And please keep an eye out for our next episode.